What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop. On Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF and The Fast House. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got the sole proprietor and owner of Bike Now Motorsports and former factory rider with KTM way back in 2000. Um, goes by the name of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, how's it going? Great, man. Thanks for uh, contacting me, and I uh, look forward to telling my story and kind of telling you all, t- letting everyone know uh, where I've been and what's going on. What's it all about? Absolutely. Well, uh, it's a pleasure for me to have you on the show. It's it, the, the pleasure's all on this side of the phone, my friend. Uh, having you on has been uh, a bit of a, like, kind of, I circle your name uh, in my kind of hit list of who I wanted to talk to, and I'm glad we're able to finally get this thing together. Uh, had a little bit of time with some time off due to a very small injury to my hand um, about, about a week ago, almost exactly a week ago, actually. But uh, um, where, where all systems go, and I'm really... Looking forward to talking some dirt bikes with you because you're still you're a guy who surrounds yourself with it. You built a business around it. And uh, before we kind of get into uh, like your career and uh, kind of start from the beginning all the way to where you're at right now, um, tell me a little bit about uh, Bike Now Motorsports, something that you've been working at for about four years now. It is, yeah. So um, about four years ago, um, I was trying to figure out what my next thing I wanted to try to do in the uh, and I could do with my injury, obviously my injury kind of can complicate things being paralyzed from the neck down. So, uh, um, prior to that for like eight years, I was, I was involved in the start of the star racing Yamaha team. And, uh, I was a team coordinator there from 2005 to about 2011 dealing with just about anything and everything that happened with that team from riders to contracts to sponsors and you name it. So I had a little downtime after a few years of that, after ending that um, chapter and, uh, I had a friend that mentioned, you know, an eBay store. And, um, I was like, well, I don't know what that's about. So I started researching it and, um, you know, so I dived into it and I just started out with just kind of getting parts from, you know, some friends and different things and, um, listing them and they would sell. And, uh, so then from there, I kind of started to pick up pace. And then, um, a few years into it, I met my, uh, now fiance and she looked at a 
pretty major dealership, Malcolm Smith Motorsports, and uh, she mentioned that they had a big, um, you know, thing of obsolete parts that they wanted to get rid of. I was like, well, I'd be interested, you know. So I actually ended up purchasing it for pennies on a dollar, and I turned around and, you know, little by little, like it was a lot of stuff, I was selling through it, and my store was kind of growing, and um, they call it, you know, it turned into like a viable business to where, you know, now I'm able to where I got to the level where I'm, you know, signed up with distributors and I do a lot of drop shipping and just like, you know, your BTO or your motorsport outlet, I'm obviously not on that level, but um, primarily our business so far has been on eBay and it's a cool thing that it, it keeps us busy. And it's um, something now that we do have a website that we're going to, you know, work on growing as well. But, you know, right now it's easy to get the attention on eBay and um, bike now motorsports has like turned into something that four years ago, if you would have told me it, it would be doing what it is now. I would have, wouldn't have believed you. And I just had my head down kind of like when I was a racer to keep on growing that and, um, trying to find a way to the, you know, being more successful. For sure. And, uh, you've got a really impressive list of, uh, of items on the store, whether it be the website or through eBay, um, the f- products from Fly Racing, FMF, which of, of course is a great sponsor of our show, uh, the Emig, Emig V2 lock-on grips, those are super popular for those who uh, uh, can't seem to get the right amount of glue right, or uh, either too much, too little, or uh, uh, they're, they're no good with the, guy wi- uh, the, the, the guide wire, yeah. or uh, even the Maxxis tires, um, a tire that was developed by Jeremy McGrath uh, is available through your store, and that's pretty cool, uh, a guy that uh, you no doubt uh, grew up looking up to. Yeah, no, I have, you know, no kidding. We all grew up in the 90s following, you know, McGrath was the guy. And, yeah. you know, I was lucky enough when I first uh, moved to Southern California to have a couple of uh, instances of uh, crossing paths at the local tracks or random riding facilities. And, yeah, I'm just, biking on motorsports is cool. We, we do everything from, obviously, dirt bikes, street bikes, UTVs, um, ATVs, watercraft, um, you name it. We literally will... If you want it, we'll we'll sell it to you. <laughs> there you go. And do and and I'll and always trying to be competitive with pricing, obviously. So uh, pricing and uh, shipping, honestly, uh, like based on like uh, if today's order uh, before twelve p.m., which is uh, we're just shortly after that, it can it ships the same day. That's pretty impressive. Uh, getting things out to people who need them, especially if you're uh, getting to the later portion of the week and, uh, and you need something that's basically dependent on whether or not you're going to ride that week. Uh, it might be a, a good idea to head on over to uh, bikenowmotorsports.com and uh, pick yourself something out that you need to get yourself some throttle therapy on the weekend. Yeah, everyone, don't don't hesitate to just reach out if you have a question or anything. Just I'm uh, I'm always here. I always pride myself on responding back to everyone and quickly. So that's the name of the game. <laughs> that it is, and we appreciate you making some time for us today. Now let's let's dial the clocks back. Where does uh, Donovan Mitchell first get uh, introduced to motocross? How do you fall in love with motocross, and what's the relationship uh, between yourself and uh, the this two-wheeled exhilaration that we love so much? Uh, where does it all start, and how did it grow? Well, um, I was born in, uh, just outside of Sacramento and I'm, I was, I'm always been from, uh, just near Hangtown motocross track. So most will know where that is in the national circuit. Yes, sir. Uh, my parents, my parents both, um, rode and raced my mom and my dad, and they 
both did it. You know, they went to Mammoth Mountain every year. My mom's engagement uh, present was a new um, Suzuki in the 70s. Like, um, so um, they both, I was born in uh, 1980 and within like two years, um, I had a PW50 that my dad brought to the door of Santa Claus and it sat in the living room for probably a couple years as just a, you know, me playing around on it. And then, uh, very quickly, obviously in the backyard, there was training wheels on that and I was cruising around. And by the time I was four to five, I was at our local, um, Sacramento raceway doing my first races. And, uh, that was it. You know, I was instantly hooked and that's, you know, we were at the track, you know, once or twice a week for sure on the weekends. And my parents, you know, were both into it. And, uh, it was just something that, you know, I was, I knew by the time I was probably six years old, first grade or so, I can still remember, you know, I just, I, I wanted to be a professional motocross racer. That was everything I did, reports, you name it, thought about was revolved around dirt bikes. And, uh, there was just, you know, something I knew from early on that, you know, so cliche, you hear people say it, but, uh, I mean, it was the honest and honest truth where I was hooked and everything I did was destined to try to be that professional racer someday for sure and some some quality guys to look up to uh at the time uh the the volan brothers of course uh there was a, a particular uh norcal guy that was knocking down national championships uh in the middle of the 90s that you had to look up to uh, i'm sure at one point there was a uh a steve lamson poster uh up on your wall as you were uh, looking forward to uh, attending loretta lynn's and maybe getting to the pros one day well, it's funny you say that. Steve Lampson actually was my favorite all-time, you know, guy that I looked up to. He went to the same high school I went to. He was from the same area as me originally, and I didn't even know that back then, actually, because he kind of already graduated to a higher level to where right. I kind of missed I missed his amateur days as far as being in at the races and stuff. And um, so, yeah, no, I was, you know, there was the Volans and there was Rick Ryan, and there was a Dean Matson and I was luckily when I was growing up to, you know, we'd go to those winter series and golden state races and, you know, you would have a lot of quality riders that you would just, just be so in awe of and couldn't wait to go watch, you know, some awesome, awesome racing. So yes, the stage was set for me to try and, you know, accomplish with, you know, what I saw on a week in and week out basis. So what uh, what was the landscape like as far as uh, who you're competing against growing up? Obviously, uh, they don't they didn't have. Well, I guess they had fifties way way back, but I don't know. I remember like the early nineties, but like not, nothing that really racing until you're almost on on minis. Uh, who were some of the mini pilots that you like uh, faced off against regularly in in, uh, in NorCal? Yeah, so I was I rode sixties and you know got on sixties and then uh, in the early to mid eighties and then, um, got onto eighties. And, um, I raced against guys like Brett Racine, who was a pretty top amateur growing up. And we were like best friends. Um, there was a host of guys that, you know, always were around in NorCal and, uh, Jeff Northrup was another one that was, I raced against from the time I was probably seven years old. NorCal. So, I love it. Um, the, the owner of uh, Guts Racing, Andy Craig, was okay. one of the week in and week out kind of guys that we diced around with. So, um, you know, grew up on 60s, 80s, and I was never really that good kind of compared to a lot of people I raced against. I had my moments here and there, different years where I kind of got it together. And 
kind of graduated, you know, up the ranks slowly. And I was like, you know, never the guy, the standout guy. So, um, you know, around 1993 or so, I got on a YZ80. Um, they had that new YZ80 that year through North County, Yamaha. And I still lived up in Northern California, but I kind of, you know, started to do okay as far as, you know, some local stuff and winning some winter series races and stuff. So, um, I was always serious, but I just was never like, you know, we didn't go to all the big amateur races. I didn't grow up doing that. We went to Mammoth some, I went to world mini once or twice, did a lot of local stuff. We, lot of, we raced a lot, but you know, I was never like that great. I went to Ponca city one year, but I was terrible. And, uh, um, so, you know, it wasn't until around 1995, which I was a, 125 250 intermediate around four, I was 14 or 15 years old and uh and then in 1996 I I you know I started doing really well I went to you know world mini did pretty well in the intermediate class I went to mammoth and really did some pretty good there in some racing and uh that's when I was approached by Yamaha and um said like hey we want you to go to Loretta Lynn but my you know my parents we weren't well off so you know we did it my parents did just, you know, they both worked and my dad was a carpenter. My mom worked for Pacific Bell. So my dad was up at the crack of dawn every day and went and worked, came home. I'd, we'd have stuff loaded up, go ride, you know, three days a week until 10 o'clock at night, at the local night track. And then, um, you know, on the weekends, it was either race in Northern California or load up and come to Southern California. Cause like the time, you know, obviously it was the Mecca and to wait to race against fast guys and get noticed, you come down here. So, um, 1997, I was offered a Yamaha support ride. So that's kind of where a little more things, things got a little more serious. They were serious, but you know, they got more serious because now I was, you know, going to go to all these amateur nationals, Texas, Loretta Lynn's, um, punk city and, um, and try to compete against, you know, all the guys that I only saw sometimes, you know, like at Mammoth Mountain or, um, other local races. So, yeah. um, I was a, I was always a hard worker. I was, you know, very, very dedicated. You know, I was always known for having my blinders on and training, like, you know, like most didn't know at that time or a lot of running, a lot of everything. I just was a, I was a diehard man. I I wanted it bad. I knew I wanted it bad. I just knew that I didn't want anything to mess that up. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where, you know, things started to take off with 1997 for me, I would say. Yeah, that's the first uh, year that you end up at the ranch, and uh, you also produce your best ever uh, overall finish. Um, and and just behind a couple of guys that ended up knocking down 125 championships, I might add, uh, Ernesto Fonseca, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, um, if they had come out with the uh, the Horizon Award one year prior, he would have been it. Uh, the guy absolutely uh, was a, a phenom. As a uh, and as an amateur, and I think he comes into the story a little bit later on. Uh, but also Brandon Jessamine, a guy who uh, was extremely dominant as a, as an amateur, and then eventually knocked himself down a, um, a Suzuki one twenty five title. I believe that was on the East Coast. And uh, Randy yep. Valade, you, there's a bunch of fast guys in here, including Billy Payne was in that uh, particular uh, class who ended up getting second in the first moto and not being able to compete the rest of that uh, that weekend yeah. in that class. And uh, you end up third overall. 
Yeah. I, um, so yeah, I mean, I showed up the week, the weekend prior at Ponca city, I had a bunch of good results and, um, and then, uh, showed up to Loretta's and obviously was wide eyed and drove into Loretta's and it was like, Holy cow, where did, where am I? Cause it's, you know, it's a spectacle to say the least, especially when you don't grow up going there and then you show up when you're, you know, 16, 17 and all these other kids, have, that's all they've done, you know, year in and year, year out. They, it's old hat for them. They know. Yeah. It's old hat. So, you know, I showed up there and, uh, I remember the first couple of motos were a little, you know, just trying to get my kit, get unnervous, basically, if you want to say that. And then um, I actually had a couple of motos where, you know, I had passed into the lead, passed Ernesto and different people. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for a lapper or something, maybe that uh, I would have won a moto. But, you know, I had some, I was pretty good and consistent throughout that week in the top three or so. And, uh, yeah, you know, like you said, I got a third overall in the 125, I believe, mod intermediate. And, um, so that really was like a thing where I got taken a lot more serious by, you know, I was being approached and it was like a whole new thing where, okay, like, this is cool. People are taking me seriously now. So, um, it felt like a lot of the hard work that I had put in obviously from, you know, forever, you know, for so many years was all like starting to really just come to like fruition where I was like, okay, like I can do this, you know, I can really like you know, try to be somebody in this sport. And, uh, you know, after that year, I kind of, uh, 97, I came home and I turned professional, um, or, you know, went to like, uh, my first pro race was, a um, like a trans cow, which was in like a September time of, they used to be really big back in the CNC kind of put those on the map. And I, I drove down to Glen Helen and, uh, rode my first kind of pro race against Casey Glidel, Jeff Willow at the time. Um, a bunch of like pretty, you know, some national numbers and this, this and that. And I actually got third overall. And, um, I had a friend that knew a guy. It's kind of one of those deals. And he goes, Hey, I know you guys travel down here pretty regularly, like, you know, a couple times a month to race to Southern California from Northern California. My friend has a new track and he has a double wide mobile home that he's willing to let you live in for free. Just pay the utilities and you can live at this track. And we went and checked it out. And within a week I was, loading up and 17 years old I was on my way to live in Southern California at a motocross track in a double wide and um which track is this you know I was this was called competition park so it was pretty big um in the early 2000s they actually tried to have the nations at the um the second facility that they opened under the same name and it was out in uh in Hemet near San Jacinto okay so um it was a you know a supercross track that at the time, it was the track to be. They, all the factories did testing there. It was, a, it was an amazing opportunity because I was able to ride with factory guys as a you know young kid. I was there. I'll, you know, all I had to do was eat, sleep, and ride. Um, I was. It was like my senior year of high school, so I just went. I went on independent study, and you know, I, you know, my parents always said, you know, you will finish high school one way or another. So I, you know, don't have to do all that, but I was able to at least. You know, I, I was focused to where they, they were safe. They knew it was safe to send me off, you know, eight hours down to Southern California and knew I wasn't going to go unravel and, you know, try to be a party kid or something. So <laughs> I was just, I was just in it and loving it and, you know, getting to just rub elbows and see all these guys that would test at this track and I got to ride with them and jump in with them. And, you know, it was just a cool period to be involved with. And this was, that was in, that was in 1998. So, I kind of 
took me into my first little year as a professional, but uh, still racing for Yamaha, having to do all that amateur nationals and things like that. For sure, and you can kind of continued on with the amateur schedule a little bit, going back to the ranch in both 98 and 99, um, with mixed results. And if you look at the moto scores, it's, uh, it's indicative of a kid who's trying just so hard, maybe sometimes a little bit too hard, um, to get to where he wants to be. And uh, I think that kind of just like kind of speaks volumes to your commitment to it, uh, racing in the A-class for two years in, uh, in Loretta's. And then also uh, kind of on top of that, also racing uh, some, some, some outdoor nationals after, uh, after Millville, uh, doing Millville after yeah. uh, uh, Loretta's in 98. And then, uh, like you said uh, earlier before we hit play on this, you also uh, went and raced some or attempted to, uh, to race some Supercrosses in 99. Yeah, and so in 98, I mean, the operation that me and my dad were running was literally a, you know, a 1990 white Ford van, um, some bikes. We had some, you know, parts help. I had sponsors. I could help. But as far as in the scheme of things, you know, some of the guys, obviously I was competing in Nick way and, yeah. um, and 98, I mean, I, you know, I got seventh or so at Loretta's I believe. And, um, but if you look at the list, there's like a lot of good guys that I was racing against. And, you know, the program where we were running was, a it was a different one. It was definitely on the low budget side. And like you said, I was just a kid that was trying so hard. And, uh, there was a lot of moments where if I was probably more patient, I would have had better results because I would have not, you know, had a moment of air or crash or just, you know, some kind of issues. So, um, like you said, I did Loretta's, um, I actually won Ponca city that year, 1998, um, in the 125 mod pro class, I beat Brandon Jessamine and stuff. So that was a pretty cool thing where, cause at that time, Ponka was still had a little bit of notoriety. Yeah. I had a lot um, of clout back then. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then, um, after Loretta's, um, yeah, me and my dad, we were in the white van. We went and stayed, uh, FMF had a little house place in, uh, Ohio at the time outside, uh, outside an Amish community. Real, we're close to Brock Sellers house and track. So I just, set up shop there for a month and we pounded motos and I did, went and did Millville as my first national and, um, realized that, uh, you know, what I was really getting myself into with the big boys to say, and, uh, Fair enough, yeah. you know, when I went out and I, I don't know, I think I went like 24, 25, 21 or something like that. My first national and, 24, uh, 21. Yeah. I, you got a good memory. Yeah. And I, I went in, I actually, one of the motos i ran you know around 12th to 15th and for about halfway and then uh then i saw the halfway flag and i realized holy cow this is that's only halfway and uh you know i was i was a hard worker but that's you know especially then the level to jump from amateur to the pro level was it was a big step man like to even get top 20 in your first nationals that was like a that was like you did good you know it wasn't like today where you jump in and you're expected like just to be top five or you can be top five, you know, or top 10. Oh, for it just sure. wasn't that way then. It just like, was different. It was a different, different time. It's weird though. Yeah. Like the guys around you, just put that in perspective for those who are listening that might know these other names that you were finishing around at your first national, who I, I imagine were probably racing their first nationals around the same time. Um, Ryan Huffman, who at that time was already established himself. I believe he was riding a, uh, a primal impulse Suzuki. 
uh, Tommy yeah. Hoffmaster, Greg Schnell, who'd go on to win uh, Supercross races in the 125 class, Keith Johnson, Casey Lytle, um, and uh, like James Pavolny, like, uh, you're not too far behind. Uh, Jason McCormick, Matt Walker, who was uh, the stalker, was a, a, a highly touted amateur. Yeah. Same thing with Jeff Willow and Chris um, Chris Gossler. Like all these guys were well outside the top fifteen, including Nicholas Way, who uh, ended up going ten thirty five for fourteenth overall. Like those were some; those guys were completely legit. And uh, you're not too far off their pace at that point. Yeah, I mean it was all a learning experience, and I dang near had a heat stroke that day. <laughs> and was sit, I was sitting in Spring hot. Creek, sitting in Spring Creek, trying to question my life and bleeding hands with blisters and going, "Oh my gosh, this is this is how these guys race." So, um, you know, we after that we regrouped and I went and did Binghamton and Steel City and um, I had some like flat tires and weird things crashes where those last couple rounds just weren't as you know as I wanted them to be, but it was a good learning experience and considering where I was at and everything, it was like, okay, like now, you know what you're in for and let's go for another year in 1999. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we did. I, again, in 1999, I had Yamaha support with the help of North County. Yamaha was always a huge, um, sponsor of mine. He's still like a second dad to me, the owner, Jim Herkman and, um, with some bikes and parts and, uh, that actually that year, um, I was always set just to be 125 kind of stuff because that's what you did. But um, I actually approached Mike Gear and I said, hey, what if you give me one of those new YZ400s and I'll race like the 250 class at locals, at four-stroke nationals. I can use them at the amateur nationals as well. Yep. And he was like, you'll ride one of those things? And I was like, heck yeah, I will. I'll give it a whirl. And um, that turned out to be a very great source of income that year in 1999 and really helped kind of put me in the, you know, in the faces of a lot of industry people at different times, because not only did I race four stroke nationals, which were pretty, you know, popular at the time, which had a lot of great guys race on that all the time um, and have really good finishes um, at multiple races. You know, I was able to do some cool things at amateur nationals. Um, and then I've also had some moments with those things. The YZ 400s were a beast of a bike. So, you know, I have stories of, um, in Loretta Lynn's that year, um, in the four, uh, well, 250 class, but I was on a 400. Yeah. You know, I probably should have got overall like a top three overall. And in the final moto, I, um, the top three guys that were in the championship all crashed in the, in the like first or second turn. We all went down together and I got up and charged all the way through the pack and on the final lap I was all the way up to third place and trying to pass I can still picture it Damian Plotz on the last lap and uh, I went to the inside of him in the back and I clipped his rear wheel and the bike kind of stood up and I fell down and the YZ400 stalled and ah, if anybody's familiar with that bike never fired ever start. again and if it's hot like it was in the red it, it's never starting so I jumped up I tried to start tried to start and it just never started so you got 20 minutes of effort to get all the way back to, you know, the top three was all for naught. And I ended up literally leaving that bike, just sitting out there against a tree and walked back because, you know, in that year, especially 1989, I was, you know, I did some super cross, as you mentioned, and I didn't qualify for any mains, but I was really close. And it's a lot of just impatience and probably just, you know, looking back, wanting it too bad. Like we said, um, I did uh, Glen Helen national and got in the top 20 
in one moto and then, um, did a lot of other races, but, um, you know, I just was, uh, trying hard. And at that time, you know, that 99 season, it literally was like, you feel like your life is on the line as far as trying to make it or break it. So it was like every race was like, this is my shot. And if I don't make it like this year, it just felt like, you know, everything was going to be done and you were going to have to like, go get a real job or something, you know, like that. So that was part of the part of trying too hard at the same time to where, you know, moments like that, you go, dang, I should have just been like, I should have just chopped the throttle a little bit, you know, yeah. but those are all hindsight, you know, no regrets, man. I know I just, you know, that's part of what I've been able to live with my injury is I know I literally put everything I had into my racing career to where, you know, living with my injury, I've been okay with it. So, um, kind of getting all over the place. But yeah, 99 was a growing year. I had a lot of good moments where, um, it was pretty cool. I was part of, um, I was like the only rider in the States wearing AXO gear at the time. Cause they were going through a restructuring. Okay. And, um, a, a gal that ran AXO, Sharon Richards brought me in and she was a great friend and mentor at the time too. And, um, she had, she's done it all. She was team green and, you know, head honcho at team green and she'd been all over. And so she kind of took me under a wing and, it was really cool because I got ran in a lot of the AXO ads in that year, full page, you know, ads at AXO. And, um, I was really unknown to most obviously. So that kind of put me in more people's faces as well. And, um, it was just a cool year all around. I mean, I learned a lot and, you know, tried hard, had a lot of heartbreak too, because I was, you know, had a lot of moments where I should have, had more happen uh, that same year, just on the same story of in uh, Loretta Lynn's in 99, in the 125 class there, the pro sport. Um, I went into the final moto in about uh, second or third overall. Buckley was leading the championship in the final moto, but he broke his leg. And um, so it was me and Billy Payne going to the final moto. And um, I went, I was, did the parade lap at Loretta's and I got back lined up for the moto and I had a rear flat tire. And, you know, I didn't have a mechanic or anything. I literally just, you know, had friends or whoever I could have grab a pit board and help me. And um, so I, I started that moto, the final moto in the 125 class with a flat tire and raced it. It still got around, I don't know, 15th to 17th or something like that, 19th, 18th or something with a flat rear tire racing the whole moto. And um, that, that got me still like a seventh overall in the 125 pro sport class. So things like that, that no one ever really knows unless, you know, you, they, you were there are kind of moments where it's like, dang, that really, that was, you know, you get top three at Loretta's or something, you kind of get taken seriously for rides, you know? So, Oh, for sure. Like, like that's that. a, and especially at that time, like it was like the, those results were extremely huge. We didn't have as many races as we have now, or as much, much coverage of these top end riders yeah. that, uh, that, that, that are able to kind of like brand themselves. Uh, you had to basically uh, bring your resume of, of results and, and, and uh, like a, a top three at Loretta's looks a whole lot better than seventh or eighth. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, I had a bunch of good finishes that week, but then the last two motos of the weekend really went sideways for just factors kind of out of my control. So that's where I went on to like, again, doing Millville, the national. And I think I got, I got in the top 20, one of the motos there and had a crash and then, did Binghamton, which that was, I never liked that track, and then did Steel City as well, where I kind of hovered around the, just outside the top twenty. I always ran in the top twenty, but just kind of was a mental mental case, 
you know, sometimes at the end of the moto and kind of would lose a couple of key positions and that was that. But, um, did you, you know, race Hangtown on a four fifty or a four hundred that year? I actually did. You know, I did Glen Helen the first round. This is kind of funny. Not many people do this. Where I first round at Glen Helen, I rode the one twenty five class, and you know, even got a what a twentieth in one moto, and then yeah. a twenty. And so I, you know, I actually was in the in the mix. And then I was like, you know what? The following weekend at Hangtown, let's just try riding the four hundred and uh, the two fifty class, and I did. And I was, I regretted that because the way the track was set up and the way the 400 was, there was a lot of flat landings and I couldn't have had stiff enough. I needed super cross bench suspension with how, you know, big of a tank that bike was. And, uh, it wasn't a great day, but I mean, it was still for some people, it'd be a great day. It'd be a good day. I got third in a qualifier, which was cool with behind, uh, Wyndham and Larry Ward. So that was kind of the, the, <laughs> the cool part of that day. But, um, yeah, I, I was, I had the luxury where I was, you know, I had sponsors and stuff, but I could also just do what I wanted. So like just trying to get the most attention and do the best I could. And whatever that was, I, you know, <laughs> figured it out as I went. For sure. Yeah. And like, I think the only two four strokes that would have been out there that day was, uh, yourself, um, as well as Doug Henry on a Yamaha four, 400 and, uh, Spud Walters as well. Um, yeah. And I, Jimmy, Jimmy button as well. I okay. Yeah. You're right about that. Tell me a little bit yeah, about like, just being yeah. one of the only guys racing those things and some of the intricacies of, other than the fact that they wouldn't start for shit, uh, what, what was it like for to, to, to maneuver on those things? It was, for me, it fit my riding style amazingly. Like, I'd never ridden, ridden a first stroke really before. But, um, you know, getting on one and just going, like, I just knew instantly, like, I'm like, I can do good on this thing. And, um, you know, with just the way you had to apply the throttle and everything, it just... It fit me. It was definitely a looking back. I mean, it was a, that was a big bike, man. It was a beast of a bike and it took a different, um, technique. And, you know, I had a really cool year at Mammoth Mountain that year getting top three and the open class and the 250 pro class with behind Dubach and Spud Walters and a bunch of other really good guys. So things like that, um, and that year, it just was a great bike for me to, really make a name for myself and have moments of, to shine that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. Cause okay. I would have probably just been riding, been riding a 125 and, uh, it was cool. Like it was just, you know, something new and there was a lot of people would always, you know, want to talk to you about it or ask you about it and, or go try, Hey, can I ride it? The local track and you would laugh, be like, sure. If you can start it, you know, you know, I'm just watching your buddies try to start it. Like that was, Shoot, that was an afternoon just a betting game if you wanted it to be, you know. No kidding. So, they're, the, you know. they're very temperamental, and uh, they took us seriously. It was a smooth operator that needed to uh, to be at those controls because there was power there, there was traction. Uh, they were like that was about all they could talk about them uh, in Supercross in that era. But uh, heavy bikes and uh, like some hesitation sometimes with carburation, and honestly, uh, difficult to work on. I mean, they they weren't uh, they weren't as easy as uh, just a, your typical one two five where uh, if you have a problem with it. Pull the jug off, change out the piston, and uh, you're good to go. Oh man, yeah. Like I, I, I laugh looking back because I literally went through that whole year, um, literally just changing the oil in it, and I didn't know any better to, you know, change oil filters and different things. You know, it wasn't until a certain point of the year where 
um, a sponsor was like, let me whip this thing apart and check some stuff on this thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, oh, man, this thing, cam chains and this and that. I'm like, I'm a 19-year-old kid that I really did know how to, I, I could frame my own bike. I did. I was very good at bike work, and I did all my own bike work, especially in that season where I was framing my own bikes and doing everything you can think of to um, be at that level and stay competitive. But it's when it came to that four stroke, like, um, yeah, I had no clue what was underneath me, like in the, for the most part. So it was a, it was a different animal. And, uh, I'm glad that I was definitely on the opening, uh, opening years of, you know, being a part of that and cool to, cool to look back on as far as photos and different stuff and stories. People, people bust stories out all the time. We're like, dude, this one time I saw you on this, your 400. And I'm like, oh man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a throwback right there. But on top of that, um, it gave you the opportunity to stand out of the crowd, obviously making a little bit different noise than everybody else, but also having some good finishes, racing those four-stroke nationals. For those who don't remember, four-strokes used to be almost kind of like a red-headed stepchild in the corner, and then eventually they started to uh, be more prominent. And uh, the, the most uh, effective way to race them was four stroke against four stroke. And uh, yeah, the four stroke nationals was the, the breeder of that. Of course, uh, Don, the late Don Schneider organizing all of that. And, uh, and you were kind of yeah. the forefront of that uh, racing against guys like Spud got right. Like, uh, uh, Kelly Smith. Dubok. All, yeah. Dubok, Kelly Smith, you name yeah. it. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're racing in the, uh, that series. Uh, what are your, some of your memories from racing those things? Cause uh, that's stuff that's not in the vault. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll give you a good one right off the bat. Is the first time I ever raced the YZ400 after I just picked it up from Yamaha. I went to, they had a series called the Thundercross series, and it was going from stadium to stadium in the wintertime, and it was with the off-road trucks, and it was kind of like the Mickey Thompson series of the okay. 80s or 90s, but it was a new reincarnation, and Dubox, Bud Walters was the champion of it, and you name it, everyone was racing it. Like, a lot of good guys were racing it. Healy, uh, Dustin Nelson and other national caliber guys would race this series. And it was kind of like an ultra cross. And I showed up to San Diego stadium on this YZ 400. I could not start it. Um, I had to have friends start it cause I still couldn't get the technique down. So the whole thing was, is for the main event, you had to shut your bike off on the floor of the stadium and they would introduce everyone. And so I was, I knew I was done right then because <laughs> I couldn't restart the dang bike. So I was yeah. like hoping I could let it idle, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me let it idle. So, here I am lined up next to Doug Dubach, you know, who's like an idol at the same time. And I'm racing against this guy. And he was a really, he was a really nice guy as far as, you know, through some of the years as I kind of got to that level where he would offer some advice and stuff at certain races. And, um, I had to get off my bike and have Doug start this bike in front of, you know, probably 30 to 40,000 people for the main event. And so right then and there, I was like, wow, okay, this is these four strokes, they'll get you. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, through that year I did the four stroke world championships, which was like the big race at Glen Helen every year. And, um, you know, there would be a line of 40 guys on four strokes and, you know, Dubok ruled everything then, but there was a lot of guys that were national caliber guys that raced it. And I actually got fourth that year. So that was a really good, um, kind of first step. That was in like early April or something like that. And, from then, like, you know, I went to Mammoth and really, really, like, I loved Mammoth. That was my favorite track and had a really good presence up there that year. And then, um, 
yeah, I just and then from there, as a, after the Nationals in 1999, the uh, White Brothers organized a, it was the second year of the U.S. Open, which is, for people that don't, don't know, that's the Monster Cup now. And the U.S. Open was at the MGM Grand. Well, they had a four-stroke class, and it was all guys on YZ400s that were invited. And so they invited me and, um, you know, Bradshaw, or I think Bradshaw, not, maybe not Bradshaw at the time, but, you know, there was a host of really top guys that all jumped on four strokes to race this, you know, part of the U.S. Open and the MGM. And uh, I did that, and uh, um, I had some good finishes. I wasn't that consistent, but they had a set of whoops that was, like no joke when you entered the stadium. And um, I was right from practice. I was always known to be really good in the whoops. And I was hitting these whoops like at the level like of like a, the guys that were in the 250 class, like the Carmichael, the Emig that, that won that year. You name it. Like I was in the old people. I wish there were cell phones at the time because like I would hear all these people saying, dude, everyone's standing up when you enter the stadium. And I just didn't know any better. I was just doing what I did. You know, that's, I was hitting the whoops and I actually crashed in them sometimes, but I also was really fast through them. And, um, that weekend is when, um, one of the racers I raced against Lance Schmel, who was on a KTM, right. I knew a little bit and he had mentioned, you know, that KTM was starting a full factory team the following year, 125 effort. And so, um, after the weekend I went over and I introduced myself to Sel Mariana, who was like the head of KTM for, years upon years and I just walked up and I was always taught to just walk up someone shake their hand look them in the eyes and tell them who you are and what you could do for them and I did that and uh, I didn't think much of it after you know I approached him and explained that you know I wanted to be on his team and I would ride any bike what do you name it just give me the opportunity kind of thing and I left there not knowing but um about a week later I got a phone call from him and he invited me to come down to KTM on a morning and I, you know, I was obviously all ears and, you know, you're 19 and getting to entertain the possibility of landing on a factory team. And, uh, so I went down there and, uh, lo and behold, I was signed to the, you know, 2125 KTM factory team. And obviously we're going to have their four, first year of a full semi, um, for full team, Kelly Smith, Roderick Thane, who was a top French writer at the time. Um, Andy Harrington was supposed to be on there. And then they also um, had Shane King. So the world champion Shane King was coming over to ride the 520s. So to say the least, that was the exciting time because you were, I was, you know, you're seeing all your dreams literally just come to fruition. And uh, so I was excited. I was head down, work harder, ride, and I was just, head over heels, you know, going for it and, uh, got, uh, got bikes and started testing and doing all these things that you always, you know, hoped you could get to the point where you got to do with a factory team like that. So it's definitely really cool. And, um, was like feeling, uh, feeling, uh, eager to go and just couldn't wait to start taking that career to that next level at that time. For sure. How, how are the bikes? Uh, how did you kind of like, did you, was it a team deal for gear? How did it all come together? Um, and, uh, and obviously like racing growing up, you must have had a really good support system. How do you, uh, break the news to them that, uh, uh, you're a factory, you're going to be a factory pro now. Yeah. So it was a team deal. And, uh, um, you know, Thor was the team sponsor, which I had worked Thor one year of my amateur career. So, there was, you know, a lot of just people excited all the way around. 
um, my parents and family, obviously it was something that, you know, you'll never forget because, you know, your dad, your mom, everyone's just like, holy cow, this is real. Like, and, um, you know, this is what we've all kind of dreamed and read about in magazines. So obviously a lot of excitement and, um, yeah, I just, you get to go, you know, it's going to all the different places, meeting all these people and the, you know, always read about or whatever. And you're doing testing with Austrian engineers and, you know, going and picking up and doing photo shoots and doing things. And you just, you know, it's a cool moment, obviously that a lot of the kids that when you get signed, you, you get to, get to feel it. And everyone, there's a lot of people on the outside that always, you know, you don't always get those moments. So it's really cool to have that under my belt as far as getting to live that part of the dream. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of testing a lot. And then, um, there was an organized two week test at Guy Cooper's house. So obviously, you know, that's someone I grew up in the nineties idolizing and he had a full supercross track at his house built. And, um, the whole team was flown out there semi, all sponsors, media were all invited. And I was the uh, unknown kid that was the last spot signed on and showed up. And I was really confident because it was the first time I had a bike, especially at 125, where I kind of understood like what the guys I was racing against the previous couple of years of nationals were riding as far as, you know, 125 and having power. And my bikes were always good. Don't get me wrong. But it just, there's other levels to that, you know, as far as, technology and 125 being fast and yeah stuff like that factory so, bikes, factory uh, bikes for a reason so you know they had that suspension with no linkage which i had long legs and i got along with the time uh the motor was the bike was unbelievable and i showed up there and i was just fast <laughs> or i was feeling confident for the first time really confident and um i kind of was taking notice from all these media people and different people were, you know, they, I was kind of that, you know, I wasn't really supposed to be anybody yet. And then, you know, testing and different things, I was extremely fast and getting, you know, kind of showing that like, Hey, I'm, I can do this. And I, I started to believe for the first time in my head, like I can be a guy, you know, at, at this level. So that was the cool part to actually finally believe it between your ears, which was a big part. So, um, you know, after that week or so of testing there, um, it was really cool. And I left there just even more confident. And shortly after that, um, the, one of the first day in the dirt races, um, that everyone obviously knows now was, uh, scheduled at a track in LACR up in the kind of the high desert of LA. So KTM asked if I wanted to be involved. And I was like, heck yeah. Like, you know, at that time it's a lot of celebrities and high profile industry people just another way of, and I was always, you know, just get my name out there, do well. I knew I was riding well. So I showed up there actually, and they put me out. I was on a 252 stroke and um, showed up there and I'm getting to hang out and meet, you know, Heinz Kindergartner and different people from high up at KTM and Red Bull and meeting my idols like Ricky Johnson. And, you know, here I'm a factory rider and my all-time, one of my all-time idols from the young kid was Ricky Johnson. And here I'm talking with him about being a factory rider so like things like that is just for a kid that like, I came from kind of nowhere, you know? So, um, I was never a big somebody, you know, I was in the, in the, in the mix, but you know, come, I was considered myself nobody from nowhere. So getting to kind of be on this stage was, you know, just a eye opening and 
ex, you know, ex, exciting time. And I had one of moto that weekend I right off the bat at day in the dirt, which was really cool. And, uh, so things were really on and up and up and it was like, man, everything's at the, at your fingertips. It's almost like you, you know, you almost can't do no wrong, you know, or, you know, it's just kind of everything clicks for clicks the way you always were, were hoping it would. And, uh, you know, my family was in town, it was Thanksgiving time and everyone's kind of just it's a lot of happiness, obviously. Cause you know, it's like all those years of time and obviously the money and everything that everyone puts into effort for the family and friends and sponsors. I mean, everyone's going, you know, like just you're making it, you know, you're a kid that's, you know, not your, I wasn't the amateur standout. So to, you know, get to this level, it's like, okay, like this is great for Donovan, you know, and it, it definitely was. So, um, that kind of, that's the mood at that time. And then, uh, we can kind of transition, I guess, probably into, uh, I guess you would call it my, uh, what happens. And then, you know, it's a flip of the switch kind of thing that you hear happens to, in life sometimes. So, yeah, just like, um, uh, just, just like your kind of path, so to speak, the, the podcast takes a little bit of a turn here and, uh, it's an unfortunate one, but it's one that you've dealt with pretty quite admirably. I might add. I appreciate that. I mean, um, I just, I am who I am and I, I'm just dealing with it. But, um, what happened was, was, uh, the first lap of one of the motos at the day in the dirt. Um, I was in about third place and, uh, the leader was Ernesto Fonseca and uh, my teammate was like second, Roger Thane. And, uh, Fonseca lost the rear end kind of in a wet face of a jump that they had watered on the first lap and crashed. And I was right there. And, um, some might know where when a bike's in front of you and you're landing, it's happened before where you, you, give it gas, you give it throttle and sometimes you ride out of it and sometimes you crash and normally you, you get up. But, um, I cased his bike and it flips me off onto my head and, um, I was instantly paralyzed from the neck down. It was a scene that's a little spotty. Um, I remember some of it and I know it was a lot of, you know, kind of like a horror scene. A lot of you hear people crying and I'm laying there. I don't really, you don't know what's going on, but then you're, kind of, you know, medics are attending to you doing pin pricks to figure out what level spinal cord injury you have. And before you know it, you're being airlifted out. And, um, and then, um, from then literally a month later, I kind of was out for a month in ICU. They had me pretty obviously drugged up. I was in ICU with a very high level spinal cord injury and, um, uh, kind of coming to and, you know, with a halo on and not being able to breathe on my own and kind of, you know, you don't understand neither does your family or friends. You, you think, you know, I grew up a kid that worked really hard to get anything and everything I had. So I figured, you know, okay, this is an injury and you all have broken bones doing this sport. I will just work hard and you re- and you get back to what you were. Yeah. But unfortunately with a spinal cord injury, you learn that really quick that it's not the case. You're out of, it's kind of out of your control and you can work hard and you do all your therapy. But as far as the injury, it's kind of like it's the unknown and everyone's injury is different with a spinal cord injury. So you kind of just see what is given back to you. And then that's what you have to work with to, you know, better your life and see what, you know, independence you can regain. So I, I, um, I wasn't fortunate where I had no movement from the neck down and, had a trach that, you know, helps keep me breathing. And, um, that was my new way of life. 
and I was transferred to Loma Linda and um, did my therapy there for six months in the hospital, staying in the hospital. And, you know, my family relocated because my family wasn't living in Southern California. So I relocated down here for the time and we all tried to rally and, you know, friends and different people. And I had a lot of support. Don't get me wrong. I've always been fortunate as far as outside support and people and just, you know, being there for me and more than I ever imagined. So I was, you know, happy. I've always been fortunate for that. But you learn real quick, you know, and it's a, it's a hard adjustment. This injury is no joke. And, uh, you know, I had to learn to live with a spinal cord injury and learn that, you know, my factory riding career that I had just worked, you know, for, you know, my entire childhood, that was over. And um, I had a new life trying to live with, you know, living paralyzed and trying to find my way. So um, definitely tough, a lot of tough days. Um, digging yourself out of, you know, deep, dark thoughts and just wondering why, obviously, and trying to justify everything. Um, but I, you know, found my way. I was able over the years to recover where I could breathe, you know, on my own without assistance. Um, over the next few years after that injury in the early 2000s, my arm, my right arm started to twitch a little. And, um, you know, I was in therapy and I just kept working and working. I got to where, you know, took years, but I got my right arm to where, you know, I can use it to use, do a lot of things that, you know, are independent. The, uh, keep me, you know, driving my own wheelchair, eating my own, eating on my own, using an iPad, using a computer to run the business or whatever it is. So I'm very fortunate that way where, you know, it's a small win in the scheme of things, but huge for me. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs of the injury and things you learn and just stuff you deal with like pressure sores and different sicknesses and just nerve pain. So it's a heart injury. Um, and you know, I've been doing it for 20 years now and, but I've also been fortunate where I had motocross and I was able to, you know, meet a lot of people and a lot of people opened up, you know, opportunities early on Davey Coombs from racer X. He was the first person that said, Hey, why don't you start doing a five minute interviews with, you know, riders, you know, them. you, you, you were at the subway. So it was when, you know, there was, you know, online or in the, in the, in the magazine, I would do the five minutes with you name it. So I did that with just about anyone and everyone. I wrote some stories about different races I went to and it was awesome. It was cool. It was like my first little gig to be involved and still in the mix of motocross and not feel like the doors kind of shut down because a lot of people do disappear with this injury and you know, you're just not on the road and you're not traveling and things are different. So, um, I did that for a few years and then, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to just find your way of like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, you've only, you only worked towards one thing your whole life. So now that's gone. And now you got to like try to regroup. And I tried some college and different things. And then I, um, in 2005, my best friend or one of my best friends, Keith Johnson from New Mexico, he was involved with the star Yamaha team that was with Bobby Reagan, who all everyone knows now is the championship team. Of course. Well, it was a privateer team. It was a privateer team. And uh, Bobby, the owner had bought a semi and really had no support. And so with some friends and different things, I was able to help kind of wrangle up bikes and parts and different things. Everyone, everyone needed to go racing that year. And part of the deal with was, you know, I had to be my friend that helped North County Yama that, that helped 
bring all the bikes and parts to the table. So you got to be involved. So I was like, okay, whatever that means. So I was like, well, I guess I'm a team manager, if you want to call it that, you know? So I just went out and started, you know, I was always taught from an early age to get my own sponsors and, you know, meet people and, you know, shake their hand, look them in the eyes. And I did that. And I was able to kind of help us a group of guys. We, we put that whole team together in 2005 with uh, Keith Johnson, Isaiah Johnson, Eric Vallejo, all on 250s in the Supercross series. That was actually Brian Johnson, um, the MTS, um, you know, who's, he had, that was his first year out of Loretta's okay. in the pro ranks. We had, we had a Jacob Saylor as well on the team and, um, out of Loretta's and, um, Sailor's we legit. had a lot of cool, mo- yeah, so it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of cool moments. We had a lot of gas cards and, uh, guys were qualified for 250 mains, obviously. And the kids were learning and I was kind of young and, you know, in my early 20 and mid twenties at the time. And just, um, we were just learning and going for it. And, uh, that transitioned into 2006 where um, the Yamaha offered um, giving us support, you know, as a factory team and uh, for the 250F series and 250 Supercross. So that's when that year we hired uh, a team, Bobby Reagan and I and Brad Hoffman was, came on board right at the same time. And we, we got um, Brock Tickle, Martin Davalos, Brian Johnson was on the team again, and Matt Gorky. So these kids are all, or Sean Collier, I'm sorry, was on the team. And um, okay. so, you know, right off the bat, like, you know, I was involved in all of a sudden it's kind of like a legit operation. And, you know, I was full bore into this, you know, dealing with sponsors and arranging kit shirts and helping with the design of graphics and getting the semi wrapped and you name it, anything and everything, I was hands in it. So, um, that obviously I did that for from 2005 to around 2011. Um, just, I wasn't at all the races and that was kind of like, no, not, not everyone knew that I was, you know, one of the guys there, but, uh, I just kind of, you know, I've never been a guy like, Oh, look at me or I want to be super known. So I just kind of did my deal. I was always, I did everything from home and I went to the race shop, but it was definitely cool. Like, you know, obviously in 2000, 10, I was at Seattle Supercross when Brock Tickle won his first Supercross and got to be a part of, you know, going on the podium and doing all that kind of stuff. So got to be involved with a lot of cool kids and, you know, just on the other side of what I kind of had set out to do for myself. So kind of a good experience and learning and just getting a part of being, being a part of the sport like everyone always wants to be, you know. Absolutely, being able to give back and and be part of that uh, that podium celebration that uh, you probably wanted to have as an athlete, but uh, to have it as a, a team member period is satisfying. Um, what were some of the like the biggest lessons that you learned about the industry uh, once working in it a little bit? And uh, uh, obviously, like you you worked in the industry when uh, it was maybe I wouldn't maybe say at its most affluent, but very damn close to it in the the ninety like two thousand. Five through 2007, and then also uh, having to, to, to work with a team uh, right in the middle of uh, the recession, uh, 2009 through 11, which was not easy. A lot of uh, uh, companies kind of pulling back a little bit, and uh, sponsorship and actual sponsorship dollars were harder to come by. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, I had been in the industry in different levels of different places my whole life, obviously. But then, obviously, when you get into the 
management side of it or team side of it and dealing with everything, you know, it's fun. It's learning. You, you have your goods and your bads and you can get burned out. That's probably why it actually kind of, I kind of tailed off at the end where I was just, I don't know. It was just not something I was, I didn't really care about. I've never been, I don't like, I'm not considered to be like, Oh, I'm the cool guy. So like we deal with a lot of that in the industry and you get a lot of that and that kind of can sour you where you're like, man, I just don't really care to be, you know, trying to butter up people that, you know, <laughs> for no reason kind of thing, you know, Oh, I gotta be this guy's friend because otherwise I can't get a sponsorship or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So, um, went through a lot of years and it's fun. Like we had a lot of cool moments and it, you know, like you said, it's, everyone wants to, a lot of people, fans always want to be on that side of it. So, uh, I was just, you know, it's cool to be a part of growing something obviously. And, um, and then going through those, yeah, those years of the economy, obviously kind of crashing, um, you know, there was a lot of moments where, yeah, sponsors didn't pay <laughs> and some companies that, you know, you would have never thought like, DNA wow, statistics. okay, they, they're literally just not going to pay us. Or, you know, even after a few years past the economy, I mean, that kind of stuff just happens more often than people realize. And you, you kind of go, wow, okay, never would have saw that one coming, you know? So, but then at the same time, there's a lot of just cool stuff and cool people that you carry on, obviously, till this day and, you know, relationships with and different things you can call upon and be like, Hey, uh, I'm doing this now. And that's what it all all about. You know, I've always tried to make sure I had a good reputation and, you know, keep a smile on my face and just try to keep plugging along. So that was kind of, uh, where that led. There was a, you know, cool chapter and it's very cool to obviously be able to reflect and tell stories. And, you know, when people, some people don't realize and like, you know, on this podcast, it's like, yeah, like, you know, something that, be able to go, yeah, I did that and it's on the resume. <laughs> that it is. And you've, you've definitely had a really interesting journey within the sport of motocross. And it's great to see, see you're, you're still a part of it. Um, getting back to your, your days at KTM a little bit. Um, first of all, I want to ask about that bike that you have in your office. Uh, is that exact, like, is that the exact, uh, factory bike that you would have ridden and, and uh, been testing on? Is that a, uh, a stock bike with some stuff bolted onto it? What's the story with that bike? So, yeah, so when I got hurt, KTM, I was like, you know, what do you want? I was like, or what would you like? Or something, just anything random. And I'm like, you know, I'd, rather, I'd like to have a bike. Because I have my first PW50 that my parents saved. And, you know, I kind of was certain that I was probably never racing again or riding again. So I kind of figured, well, I'm never going to get a bike again. So they were kind enough, and they gave me that bike. It's, it's, a, it's a basically a, you know, stock bike that, just like any factory bike, it's built up. It has the suspension. It has some motor stuff. It has different things here and there. And, um, uh, they gave it to me never, it's never seen the dirt. I started it once, drained the oil out of it, and antifreeze. And it's kind of in my, uh, what you would call the shrine room now. <laughs> my fiance calls it where we have a pool table and all the walls are kind of covered with a lot of, you know, different amateur stuff and, um, from different years and then, um, my factory stuff that I was able to hold on to. Luckily I was there. Luckily in the time that I was on KTM, there was a lot of footage and videos and photos and different things that were taken by media people that when I got hurt, all of a sudden I had all these people reaching out to me like, Hey, we have these slides. Hey, we have these images. Hey, I, I snapped this, you know, here or whatever. And I'm like, 
oh, this is like, you know, priceless to me, obviously, because, you know, it's just kind of a, just a thing to be able to, you know, pride and look at it and, you know, reflect on every once in a while. And then, you know, since my injury, there's a lot of people that you meet and that don't know you previous to your injury. So now when they come in, you know, this dining room area, when they come in, they, they look at it and they go, this is you. <laughs> and you're like, yep, that's me. And they're like, wow. Okay. Crazy. You know, cause they can see you standing there, see you riding different things. And it's just, a takes a whole nother aspect of, you know, they only see you sitting. So, um, they don't know that part of your life. So it's cool to really glad to have it and other cool stuff that I was able to acquire, keep and hold on to. So cool little trophy. That's for sure. Absolutely. And this is actually one of the things I've kind of always wanted to ask anyone who's been injured the way you have is, is it weird to look, look back at, at pictures of you riding, pictures of you standing, uh, and, and like what, what emotions get pulled up by stuff like that? How do you look back on that either fondly or do you look at it kind of like bitterly like, or at, is it at different times that when you're first injured, you're like, I don't want to look at uh, when I was able-bodied or uh, this, that, and everything. How does that all work? Well, I, I've never experienced the bitter part. Um, from the beginning, I don't know if it's because I just know that I, you know, dedicated myself to it where I know I put everything out there and, you know, I don't have, I've never had any bitter, I don't want to look at dirt bikes. I don't want to go to the races. I mean, I was, as soon as I got out of the hospital, I was, you know, at Vegas Supercross really just shouldn't have been there, but I was there, you know, like hanging out, you know, hung out with Jimmy Button that day. There's a photo of us literally just both out of the hospital after both being paralyzed within, you know, the same six months. So, um, I've never been bitter about it. I look back at photos and video and sometimes it's like, you know, it's, I've always found it cool. I mean, it's something that's not everyone can ride or, you know, do it at that level. And I was, pretty high level and ever was at the top and I never got a chance to maybe, you know, go and show that I was going to maybe could have been even better. But, um, I, you know, the weird thing with paralysis, my, my dreams is most of the time I'm always walking. So I still have dreams even 20 years into this injury where I've woken up and it's like, I was riding and it's like the most weird thing. Cause you still really? have these, you know, you have like things that were like second nature to you when you rode and you dream and you go, holy cow, like, you know, you're doing it. And uh, everything's always got, like, you're, like, a little bit impaired some, in some way. Like, it's almost like you're coming back from injury or there's something, like, kind of, you know, the bike's tuned down or something weird. But it's it's very strange and, um, you know, but it's cool at the same time. So as far as, you know, yeah, you look at yourself standing or different things. And I have a standing frame that I do time to time. And even doing that and standing up for say your niece or nephew or a friend or a neighbor that's never seen you stand and they see you stand up and you're six feet, six foot two. And you know, they go look at a picture and they go, Holy cow. Like, yeah. You know, they see, you know, say someone sees you as far as with your shirt off in a photo from that time, they're going, dang, like you were like, uh, <laughs> you were on the machine as far as, you know, like as far as you know, all the training and everything you put in. So yeah. Yeah. No bitter, no bitterness. I've always loved the sport. I've always like, you know, love to be around it. It kind of, you know, sometimes you feel maybe a little forgotten sometimes in a way with, uh, you know, just the way everything shuts off and, you know, the sport kind of is quick to forget or 
quick to forget you in different aspects, no matter who you are. So um, I don't care what level you're at. Like even some of the gnarliest guys, I mean, they experience that too. So that's the, that's the kind of the crappy side of motocross in that, in that aspect. But um, yeah, I mean, I carried on and I still love it. And it's in your blood, man. It's hard to, hard to put that away. For sure, and uh, like it's in the the heart of a of a motocross racer to always kind of long to be on the track. It's our throttle therapy, after all. And I call I call it that, or maybe say that way too often for this podcast. People are tuning out already, but uh, I, I seriously believe that uh, any time you can spend on two wheels is a really positive one, especially for myself. And uh, to have that pulled away is uh, is hard to deal with. And um, but you've been able to uh, stay within the industry. And, uh, and, and, and impacted in a positive way, especially with the, uh, the Wings for Life program, which is something that's close to your heart. Yeah, no doubt. Wings for Life is a foundation that was created um, a few years after I was injured. Um, Heinz Kidney Gardner, whose son was paralyzed. And he's, um, Heinz Kidney is a world champion motocross racer, the car legend, and um, high up at KTM, very close with the founders of Red Bull. And um, he created this foundation um, a few years after I was injured and his you know, son was injured simply to, you know, a hundred percent of everything is to try and figure out a cure for this injury. And they have the best of the best globally contributing doctors, scientists to maybe see one day that this inju- in- injury is not a life sentence. So near and dear to my heart, um, he's one of those people that I met when I was obviously signed with KTM who took a liking to me. I took a liking to him. He was a huge supporter of mine and just a great, he's a great person no matter who you talk to. So this injury is not easy. And um, I kind of want to make sure everyone knows that, like, you know, this podcast, you know, I can, I've always made it through the trials and tribulations, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a battle. And, you know, I deal with things like the nerve pain and the pressure sores where I've spent, you know, upwards of six plus months straight in bed trying to heal this, you know, heal something. And it's, you know, those things can be life or death with this injury. So, um, and you know, as the years go by, the injury doesn't get any easier. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. So, um, you know, a lot of people, I always consider saying, uh, I'm a good actor because a lot of times, you know, as far as I'm out doing things or I'm, you know, on this podcast and, you know, I'm telling my story. However, you know, I suffer with a lot of pain, extreme pain, a lot of different things, muscle spasms that you just kind of have in your head and you deal with them and everybody deals with their things, no matter who you are. So it's part of the game, but you know, it's something that wings for life is they're dedicated and they have support from Red Bull and it's an amazing, amazing foundation where, you know, a hundred percent of everything is going towards trying to make this not a, not a, not a deal where everyone has to live with it forever. So um, they brought me on now that they have a bigger presence in, um, in the U S in the last year. And I'm an ambassador and I'm getting to go to events and tell my story, which obviously my story is my story. So it's, I, I have no problem sharing it and telling people and opening up to questions and Q and a and different events and different events and different things that they're going to be, you know, structuring to promote awareness. So, you know, one thing that they're, you know, promoting coming up in uh, November is called the uh, Wings for Life 
scavenger hunt. And uh, people can look it up at either, you know, be just Google search Wings for Life scavenger hunt in November. And it's going to be an amazing event where you get a team of four people, um, you know, your friends, whoever, and you're going to go to um, Fox Racing headquarters in Irvine. And you're going to, everyone, the teams of uh, four, 150 teams are going to load on buses. And everyone's going to go between, you know, Fox, um, K1 Speed, Volcom, Oakley. And you're going to do scavenger chump, scavenger, <laughs> scavenger hunt disciplines and all kinds of different fun events and cool things. And each team's going to have like a, um, an, an, an ambassador. So somebody like me. And then also like the professional athletes that obviously Red Bull supports. Um, from all different, you know, things they're involved with. Obviously, they're involved with just about anything and everything. So it's going to be a cool thing for people to inter- interact and have fun, raise money for this injury to be, you know, a thing of the past. And uh, everyone can go to, you know, Google search Wings for Life scavenger hunt or go to WFLUSA.com um, or um, – yeah, there's, you know, you can find it pretty easily and, uh, it's cool, man. Or just look me up and you can find, you know, at Dono eight, six, one on Instagram or Donovan Mitchell on Facebook. You can find a lot of things I'm kind of put out there. And, uh, I'm excited because it's something I've, I've never been involved with things like this. And I, but I do feel passionately where this is something that is worth, you know, worth being a part of. And then worth other, worth trying to get other people to, you know, acknowledge it and jump on board as well. So yeah, just want to, you know, can't express enough how this injury is not tough. And there's lots of people that, you know, you know, maybe know someone with an injury and once you know someone with it and are part of it, you, you know, it's, it's not a, not an easy thing for your, you know, your family, your friends, you know, I, I'm thankful. I have a fiance that's my, you know, number one support and keeps me up and going and, day to day. And it's like, uh, you know, I'm, you know, fortunate that way. Um, so yeah, just, you know, if you can look that up and, you know, if you want to donate or just, you know, don't even have to donate, spread the word. It's all good, man. Yes, sir. And we'll, we'll, yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll, uh, attach a link, uh, in the description uh, of, to the podcast, both on the website and on uh, iTunes when this gets released, but uh, I really appreciate you making some time for us today, man. Uh, uh, no real time limit on how long we'd talk, just because uh, I know that uh, you're a guy who's passionate about uh, the sport and, and uh, the different things that are in your life, so I just kind of wanted to give you as much time or as little time as you wanted to talk about all things. Last couple questions I have for you before I let you go, but I wanted to, to reiterate how much I appreciate you coming on. Um, like you being a, a Yamaha, I wouldn't say four-stroke specialist, but a guy who raced one in the 400 model, which is pretty rare as far as guys who race them as professionals. Did you ever get an opportunity to ride a, uh, a four-stroke KTM? Because uh, obviously you're, you're looking to ride a, a 125 in Supercross, but did they uh, at all throw you on the, the four-stroke just to see what you thought of the damn thing? Because, uh, yeah, those like were the two yeah. main, main companies building them back then. Well, uh, yeah, glad you brought that up because, um, actually there, when I was at Guy Cooper's house, um, obviously Shane King world champion, they had this full factory KTM 520 and a full factory KTM 540. And they were, you know, testing both Shane was testing both there as well. And, you know, 
I at one point said, hey, you know, you guys obviously found me on one of these things, more or less. So I jumped on one that one of those things and took it around the Supercross track, took it around Guy Cooper's epic facility at his house, the tabletop track through the trees that has been on some videos and different things, outdoor track. And, uh, yeah, the thing was a, a 540 was a beast, to say the least, of, you know, power and just, you know, they had based it off of a Grand Prix bike. So um, you can imagine that it, there was a lot to it. And um, the 520 was more manageable. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was, it's, it was still a, a big, you know, a big piece of bike to handle. But as far as, you know, jumping off the Yamaha, I mean, they were, it was kind of a hard to compare because obviously one had freaking crazy good suspension and, all kinds of cool doodads, you know, from top top to bottom on the KTM. So I did get to ride one, which is cool to be able to say because uh, it was a it was a, definitely a spectacle to say the least. <laughs> Wish I had some video of me on it. No kidding! It sounds like you were uh, a pretty smooth operator at the controls of those four strokes, uh, Donovan. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. I think we're going to have to make you a repeat offender uh, to come on the podcast and, and give us uh, more of uh, of your brand of uh, just speaking romantically about the sport of motocross and, and maybe even having you on for a race review here and there. Um, I really appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, I hope that everyone goes over to BikeNowMotorsports.com. Check that out on uh, the web as well as on uh, on eBay. Um, and I really appreciate making t- the time. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. Like, true pleasure. I definitely appreciate, you know, giving me the time to share my story. And everyone, if you made it this far for listening, and uh, I would love to come back on. I obviously follow the races. I have my opinions from, you know, every little thing and aspect that happens in the sport. Uh, I look, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to me via social media, whether it's to buy some parts or just ask a story or say what's up, I'm, you know, I always respond and appreciate any kind of, uh, any kind of high five or just cool story or just to say hi. And, um, yeah, check me out online at, at Dono eight, six, one. And, don't be scared to, don't be a stranger, everyone. Absolutely. Dono861 on Instagram, Donovan Mitchell on Facebook. Reach out to this guy. Great stories are, like, you got, t- you got way too many stories to fit into an hour and 20 long, uh, hour and 20 minute long podcast, but I uh, do. Well, that, that's <laughs> I why have we're going to have stories. To, that's why we're, you're going to be have, a, I have a lot of, my friend. Yeah. I do have a bunch of stories that we didn't cover that you probably would, you know, it blow your wig back and yeah. through the years of racing and being involved with different people and cool stuff. And so, yeah, just cool memories. And I would love to always be in a part of, you know, whether you want to do a round table on whatever you're involved with, man, I open, open doors and thanks for, thanks again. No problem. Absolutely. We'll, we'll save those stories for another time, but, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I really appreciate you making the time for me today, my friend, and, uh, don't hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there.